we're hopefully at sort of some kind of last leg of the race with the uh, COVID-19 hunker down mode. I'm optimistic. I'm kind of wired that way and I'm ready to, uh, to kind of begin for us to get together in some capacity. During this time, you have to rely on leadership. Times that are hard mean that we look to leaders for help. And everyone, make no mistake, is a follower in one form or fashion. You're either following Christ or you're following the devil. You're either following godliness or you're following sinfulness. You are a follower. We're designed to follow. We are designed to yield ourselves in allegiance to God. And if we're rebelling in doing that, then we're yielding ourselves in allegiance to something else, idols, ultimately the prince of the power of the air. And so we're always looking to leaders. We're always looking to be led. We're looking um, for ways to follow. Even the strongest leaders are followers. Remember our Lord Jesus Christ, who walked this earth, was a follower Though perfect man and perfect God on earth, he was the example of followership, following his heavenly father while on earth. Spiritual leaders are essential in the church. And Hebrews 13, out of all the things it could be talking about as we get to verse 7, it talks about spiritual leaders and spiritual leadership, godly leadership, church leadership. The applications have been very apropos and perhaps surprisingly clear in terms of their potency and why they are given to us. Verse 1 of chapter 13 talks about letting brotherly love continue. Keep a soft heart towards one another. Let your affection for one another persevere. What does that look like? Well, It looks that way in terms of the mission. Remember the stranger that you need to be hospitable to and people that you need to have in your house. Remember how you need to love the mission and love, secondly, the mistreated. Loving those who are persecuted. Loving those who might draw some kind of fire back your way if you associate with a hot-hearted believer that's being persecuted for the faith. The third application in this text is remembering marriage, exalting marriage, holding it in high honor and esteem because of immoralities and adulteries and all of what's contrary to marriage or society that is just throwing marriage to the, on the trash heap and ultimately ignoring gender, ignoring biblical masculinity, biblical femininity, a a marriage between one man and one woman for life. This is just ignored. It's put aside. It's looked down upon in many ways. Mother's Day itself is a trophy of honoring marriage and loving the family. And then last week we talked about money, where your treasure is, your heart lies also. These are potent applications. These are important applications, especially when life is hard, especially when there's kind of a, just a tone, right? An atmospheric tone or an edge on life, a pressure that you feel. And I know you feel it like I do, where you, you want normalcy, you want regularity, 
But during this time, it's a time of examination and a time of purification, probably for all of us, where we're trying to apply God's word as best as we can by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right in the flow of these thoughts, you have verse 7 that says, remember your leaders. In other words, the pressure's on. Don't forget your leader. Don't forget your leaders. It's a basic call to submission. Right in the wake of of being soft-hearted, having brotherly affection continue, a soft-hearted spirit remembering godly leaders. I would ask you in your mind's eye to take a moment and remember. Think about this. Think about someone who impacted your life and was a spiritual leader to you. I hope you've had that rare jewel, that great Christian treasure of having a mentor in your life, someone who led you, someone who sat with you, someone who met you where you were in crisis, someone who did not judge you, someone who did not look down on you, someone who invested their heart into your heart, someone who met regularly with you, who discipled you, who showed you scripture who pointed you to truth to answer all of your questions, who grounded you in doctrine, who prayed with you, who prayed for you and then followed up. If you think about a leader like that, it's easy to feel the emotion of their investment. Perhaps it moves you even to tears. Vulnerable vulnerable moments that you survived where you wanted to throw it in, but they kept you going. Verse seven says, Remember that person. Remember your leaders. To remember them. To think about them. The context of Hebrews is more mystery than anything else. We don't know a whole lot about what's going on. Verse 24 of chapter 13 gives a a greeting either to or from Italy. It says, greet all your leaders. Imagine that. And all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. So there's this interaction from Italy. It reflects the fact that early New Testament Christians who come out of a Hebrew background, who are ethnically Jews and believers in Christ, a lot of them through the diaspora were sent around the world. And so you have some suffering in Italy and you have some suffering at home base in Jerusalem. People who are Wanting to throw in the towel, they're feeling the pressure. I mean, relate to this. They're feeling governmental pressure, perhaps even indirect persecution at this time, not to the point of shedding blood, but they've had to relate to people who are in prison. They've had to relate to other Christians who've lost a lot. Hebrews chapter 10 talks about this. They're they're feeling the discipline of the Lord through the suffering of circumstances and the loss of things or the potential loss of things for their faith. And the temptation is to return to the old ways, return to the old religion, return to something of regularity, conformity to religion that will equal safety rather than exercising faith. Conformity and religion, that seems like a safe option in this kind of virulent, scary culture right now. I want to tuck tail and go back there rather than exercising bold faith. We're called to exercise bold faith, humble faith, and in this case, a attitude of submission to leadership. It's a loving submission because these are leaders who invested in your life or their lives. 
Hebrews 10 verses 32 to 34 talks about remembering the former days, remembering how Christians were publicly exposed. And in those times, leaders stepped up and led. Now, I want to say up front, I don't think that remembering leaders here is kind of a eulogy and you're remembering them as if they've died of martyrdom and you're standing over their casket at a funeral and you're remembering them. There could be a sense of that here. There could be a sense of remembering those who've lost their life for Christ. Hebrews chapter 12 says that they did not resist you to the point of shedding blood. So I think the leaders here are those who are still present. Those who you, they may have been distanced geographically. They might be overseas from one another. So you're remembering their investment from earlier days in that sense. But probably this is just keeping in mind and bearing in mind those who have invested or are investing in your life. In this case, their lives. These are not people who have died. These are people who are alive. If you look at verse 17 of the same chapter, it says, obey your leaders and submit to them. It's the same word, leaders. Same word as in verse 24, leaders. These are leaders who are present within the church. Either those who are present physically there or those who've in a prior season of life invested in their lives But they are leaders to be looked at, to be followed, to be observed, to be watching, to see how their life has turned out and how their life can impact their lives. The credibility of verse 7 for them to be remembered is based on how they lived their life and are living their lives. That's why verse 17 says to obey a leader like this one. These are leaders within the local church. Leadership can be applied, by the way, throughout the body of Christ. You have parents who are leading children. You have mentors who are leading their mentees, men who are leading men, women who are leading women. Titus chapter two says there's mothers who lead their children, i.e. Mother's Day. Leadership is a reality that we all need to think about. But in particular here, we're talking about leaders within the local church. Those who are pastors or shepherds, that's the same word, poimain. Those who are elders, that's presbyteros. Those who are either older or more mature spiritually within the body of Christ. And overseers, that's episkopos, which is a bishop, a person who is overseeing the flock. So the shepherd pastor, the elder And the overseer, those are three titles talking about one man and one office. The qualifications of a pastor elder or a pastor bishop are found in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. These titles are used interchangeably within Acts chapter 20 and 1 Peter chapter 5. This is a, the office And the position of leadership within the church, which has the highest standard because it sets the pace and sets the course for the spirituality of a place. It sets the tone for the Christian community, for how people feel within the church. A person's godliness, a person's heart, a person's prayer life, a person's commitment to the word of God, a person's effervescent faith is influential within the church. These are those whom the body of Christ is called to remember and think about and be influenced by within the church. The title leader is a functional title. Just by using the word leader, it assumes followership. 
Think about how we are called to make disciples. We're called to make learners, those who follow, those who watch a life, those who listen to what somebody says and how they say it and what they do and how they do it. We're called to watch leaders and follow in their integrity. Someone who's a bad leader has all kinds of wreckage in their wake. And someone who is a good leader is someone who is highly influential and powerfully making an impact in this life. Church leader is called to be submissive to the full eldership and submissive to Christ. So there's always followership, but there's always leadership. A true leader is a lifetime learner and a leader who stops learning, listen to this, is dead and is a deadener, a false leader, someone who's hard-hearted, who is a leader in the church will deaden a place with negativity. The posture of a non-learning leader is someone who ultimately is a cult leader because they are putting their personality before Christ. Diotrephes is the supreme example in the New Testament of a bad leader. First or third John chapter one, I'd invite you to look there. Third John one, nine and 10. John says, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, this is the aged apostle John. He says, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, just underline that bad leader. I want to put myself first, does not acknowledge our authority, does not acknowledge scripture's authority. Fill that in. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us and not content with that. He refuses to welcome the brothers. So not only is this leader negative against John, he's shutting down the mission. Diotrephes, not welcoming the brothers, not welcoming missionaries in this case, and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. So he's flexing church discipline to shut down the mission. That's how bad this man is. Diotrephes, it's tucked away in 3 John. You never hear about it. You never read it. This is a supreme example of what we do not want in the church. Verse 11 clarifies where we're headed even on our text today. 3 John 1.11, look at this, it goes on. Beloved, do not imitate evil. Same word as we're gonna see in verse seven of Hebrews 13. Do not mimitize, don't mimic. Do not be like this evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Diotrephes isn't even a believer. That's the point, he hasn't seen God. Let's go to our text Verses 7 through 9 is our text. We're only going to be able to cover two verses with our time remaining. The role of godly leadership is our header. Our first point is godly leaders base their authority on God's word. Listen, all leadership, that spiritual leadership and godly leadership is based on the word of God. Nothing more, nothing less. Period. End of discussion. If you hear from me preaching inspirational stories... If you hear me preaching my personality, if I'm the hero of every sermon, throw me out. Throw me out. All authority is God's word. That is it, period. Anything that an elder or a pastor does here at Anchorage Grace Church or any church that's committed to God's word comes from the Bible, period. Nothing more and nothing less. Not business, not experience, not age. I don't care. God's word is the final say and the authority within church life. 
That's leadership. That's what you remember as a, le- as a learner within the church. You're submitting to God's word as it's lived out and communicated through leaders. Every spiritual leader has to have the gift of teaching. Look at this in verse seven. It says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Those who communicated Bible. That's what you're remembering. How did that person impact my life? Their personality, how they managed their money, their good looks, how they were together. I mean, those are general ways to be impacted. Their intelligence, their acumen. No, they spoke the Bible to me. That's leadership. That's Christian leadership. It's teaching all that Christ has commanded. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. That's leadership, making learners, teaching the Bible to them. The gift of teaching is a requirement for the elder pastor overseer. They have to be, 1 Timothy 3, apt to teach or able to teach. Now, the teaching gift is broader than just for the elder, but the elder must have the teaching gift. 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, Romans 12. The gift of teaching is there. Titus 2, teaching, didaskalos. You, you have to be able to teach truth, teach doctrine. And there are teachers within the body of Christ, but the elder must have this gift to do his job. Otherwise, he cannot be an elder. It has to be that way. An elder who does not speak as one who, holds, who speaks the oracles of God, 1 Peter 4, is not equipped to be an elder. He's miscast. A shepherd without a shepherd's crook, a builder without a tool, a warrior without a weapon to defend truth and the gospel in the church. You have to be able to teach. You've got to be able to have the word of God that creates a grid in your thinking for you to be able to discern right from wrong, truth from error, false from true, wolf from sheep. Titus chapter 1, 9 and 11, it's a parallel section of 1 Timothy 3. It says, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Look what you must do. Is teaching just academic? Is it just curricula? Is it just curriculum? Is it just I learn this and I communicate that? No. Verse 11. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families within the church by teaching for shameful gain. What does that mean? That means the motivation of a false leader, false teacher who is teaching something errant. Outside of orthodoxy, Jesus plus this will make you right with God. Anything under that category. That person is upsetting the families in the church, messing things up. Why? For the motivation of shameful gain. If you look through 2 Peter chapter 2, it's the false leader who has eyes full of adultery, who's filled with pride, like a cloud filled with water of of hell that's going to rain down wreckage within the church. This is a false leader, someone who is empty inside, someone who's like a dog returning to his vomit, someone who wants to bring old ladies who are influential or influenceable 
and lead them astray by promising things that cannot be promised. Shameful gain. First Peter chapter 5 says your shepherd, you are to shepherd the flock of God not for shameful gain. First Peter 5 2. So what shuts this down? Teaching truth. Again, verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God. It's a humorous story in Acts chapter 20. Paul in his ministry was always preaching and he preached long. I'm going to try to preach short today. But Paul preached so long that this man, Eutychus, fell over and died. Said it was on the first day of the week, which means it was the Lord's day. It was Sunday. When they gathered together, verse 7, this is Acts 20, verse 7, they gathered to break bread. Paul talked to them intending to depart the next day. He was going to leave, but he started preaching. He prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus sitting at the window. This is Luke telling the story. Hey, there was this man, Eutychus, and he was sitting in the window. And Paul was just going on and on. Sitting in the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, Eutychus, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Whoops. He's preaching so long, Eutychus, whoa, falls over. Dead, like all the way dead, not mostly dead, 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 all the way dead. Paul goes over to him, went down, bent over. This would be a nice way to recover, preaching too long, taking him in his arms. He says, do not be alarmed for this, his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and broken bread and eaten, he conversed with him a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. <laughs> I love that language. They were not a little comforted. They were very comforted because the young man died, but he wasn't dead. Paul's whole ministry was given to teaching. He met the elders at, at Miletus, the Ephesian elders. He met with them and talked to them about how he didn't hold anything back from declaring the word of God, verse 20. He did it house to house. He didn't shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God. And then he warned these elders and said, be careful Pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. There's that interchangeable word, shepherd, overseer, elder, to care for the church of God, which he obtained by his, with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock and from among your own selves, meaning from the inside, elders are going to go rogue. From your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. What do you do in light of that? Be alert, remembering that for three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Why, how do you stay alert? The teaching of the word of God continually. You say, I've heard it. Here's the, the wrong attitude for learning the Bible. Well, I've heard that. I, I aced this course. I understand that. No, we are always in a state of drift. And the word of God snaps us back into our lane. It's just like when I'm driving on the Seward Highway and it's like, hey, look for the doll sheep. Whoa, I'm going there. You're drifting into treachery. If you look up for the doll sheep and you're the driver, right? You need the bumper rails. You need the person next to you like a town crier preaching, get back in your lane so that we can stay safe, so that we can keep going. That's preaching night and day, three years, stay alert. This is what happens. That's what's going on. Expectations mount to within the church to draw preachers away from their functional task. Functional leadership for the elder, for the pastor is to preach, is to teach the word of God. Chaplaincy 
It's great to minister. It's great to sit with the infirmed. It's great to pray for the person who needs prayer. But we are not chaplains here. We are not priests here. This is not Roman Catholicism here. We believe in the priesthood of the believer where we equip the body to do the work of the ministry. The word of God is what empowers you to sit with the infirmed, to do the hospital visit, to visit people in prison, to teach others also. That's the word ministry that's described in scripture. I'm not saying we don't do all of it, all of us. We're all commanded to be part of the participation of the body life, but whether counseling, whether praying, whether giving, whether serving, whether going, that is a broader body life ministry that flows from being equipped in the word of the living God. Leaders teach scripture. Two final thoughts. And I said this already, a leader should never preach himself. Scripture is his curriculum. Otherwise, it's a personality cult. Number two, the body of Christ must be taught. And not once, but all the time. You need regularity of teaching. Nothing will measure to the word of God. You say, yeah, but I've just been shown this gimmick, this diet, this new way of thinking, this new way of doing. Those things will always peter out. Think about it. The word of God lasts and it stands forever. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of God stands forever. It's strong, it's powerful, it's potent. It's not going anywhere. It transcends time. Point two, let's go there. Godly leaders live a life commensurate to God's truth. Now, this is the rubber meets the road moment. A godly leader has to live it out. Look at verse seven again. You're to remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you and then consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. They've got to live it. A godly leader lives it, period. It's what I hear at my home. I heard you preach that, dad. Live it, live it. Hear it all the time. It's massively convicting and should be. How do you grow in the Christian life? I just want to give you a secret to growing be accountable to teach somebody, anybody, regularly. So you have to study. Those who study it and know it and teach it really know it, right? You know that. And then be accountable to live it. Live in that accountability of teaching and giving and then hearing. You got to live it. You got to live it. You got to live it. it. That's how strong is your flesh? It's strong enough to overthrow just regular attendance Christianity, regular giving Christianity, regular listening to sermons Christianity, show up and leave Christianity. Your flesh is way stronger than that. I know mine is. The Bible says it is. Your allegiance to the devil is stronger than that. We need preaching. We need to be teaching. We need to be held accountable. That's where Christian growth takes place. Nothing less than that will suffice in the Christian life. You can always give and you can always receive. And the teaching ministry should be part of this, always. Leaders will do this and they will establish a regular pattern of life for others to follow. Leaders are those who live it. 
And you see this in the text. Consider the outcome of their way of life. You could interpret that as well. They lived and they died. And what was their outcome? Well, that's not a bad thing to do. We look at Bill Mills's life. We saw him live it. He's gone to be with the Lord. What is the outcome of his life? You have a broad ministry. But I would also say that by watching someone live their life, And by evaluating them as a believer and going, you know what? The way that that person lived their life or lives their life as a believer in business, in the community, in what they do, how they give, how they serve, how they speak, how they pray, that impacts me now because I see success. And I don't mean worldly success. I just mean success in terms of growth and life. Those who do not live Godly, those who compromise, those who have no convictions, those who are not learning, they are people who have wreckage in their wake, who compromise, who are not good models. You know, there's a lot of learning styles that are out there, right? You can learn auditorially. You can learn by being a verbal processor. You can learn by being someone who is a sequence learner, who needs precision, who needs something laid out chronologically to logically follow it. There's a lot of different learning styles. There are those who are, are listening learners and those who are kinesthetic learners who have to actually do it to learn it. I'm kind of that way. There are people who process things in all kinds of different ways, but I want to say that most learners are a blend of all of these things. Most effective learners are both visual and auditory, both logical and kinesthetic and tactile. Most learning happens in in all of the interdisciplinary fashions that are presented. That's why you have schools. That's why you have colleges. It's to learn. It's to get it in you. But I want to say that from this text and history has played out and the life of Jesus emulated this and showed it. Most learning is by watching and observing a life where you, where you're an apprentice under a master. Most effective learning comes from someone who's willing to subordinate themselves, to submit themselves to someone who is a master tradesman, where you learn and you watch. This is why you have last names that trend in the political arena, like the Bush name, right? Or the Kennedys. It's people who were just around it, and so they did it. They learned by osmosis. It's why people take over the family business, because they were learning involuntarily in the intangibles, the things that aren't part of the curriculum. They're just around it, and it gets in them, and then they can just do it. The greatest learners are those who not only are around people, but then also subject themselves to the academics and the disciplines. It's that blend that creates a great learner. And that's what's shown here to consider the outcome of their way of life, to watch the way that what they did blessed them. This is why I think, by the way, colleges are going to come back together eventually. Schools are going to come back together again. Churches are going to come back together again because there's no replacement for being face-to-face with each other. There's no replacement for that. Live stream is, is really a, a great additional blessing, but it does not substitute what really, really matters, which is gathering together, being together, face to face. It's the difference between trying to read instructions that were written by someone in a back room and you take those instructions and you try to apply those instructions that you've read to something that you want to build. Well, with somebody like me, 
I can't do that. I struggle greatly with, well, subpoint A means this, so you find that. I mean, you know, hit me in the head with a hammer. It's awful even to watch me do that. Now, there are people who are engineers, who even family members of mine who can put things together and I delegate to them. However, what I'm saying is the YouTube video has been genius, right? Because someone is telling you what to do. Let me show you how to do this. Let me model that. Well, even better when you have that person with you and they say, Jeff, now turn it this way, do this and put it together. Biblical Christianity is like that. We are to imitate people's faith. Verse seven, mimitai, see what they do and do it. Copy their faith. We pray like people that we're around. We learn like people we're around. We watch their way of life. We watch how they did it, how they do it. And we follow that and we grow. We want to serve like them. I remember being a college kid and I was, you know, kind of an adrenaline junkie and I liked doing things. And I was in Lynchburg, Virginia, where there was a lot of rock climbing. And so I, I'm a terrible klutz. I'm, I have really poor balance, um, as a matter of fact. But when someone is willing to handle me and take me um, into rock climbing, especially back then, I was willing to do it. And so I found a handler, a good friend of mine, and he was cat-like. He could jump onto walls that had little edges that would stick out and he could stick looked like he could stick to the wall because he was such a good climber. So we went to this place one time called The Tooth. And it was just a, a rock face that looked like a tooth from a distance. And he said, well, let's walk down to the edge of this thing. And he harnessed me in. He started putting all the mechanics into the crevasses or crevices rather and harnessed me up. He said, today we're going to learn how to repel. So just sit back like you're in a chair and just let out some belay. And I've got you from up top, but you can let it out and you'll be fine. And if you go down this rock face about 30, 40 feet, there's a ledge there and you can stand on it and wait for me. And being the, I don't know, 20 year old that I was full of wisdom, I said, sure, this will be a great idea. So I sit back, lean back and start to let out some slack and I'm going down the the tooth face. And suddenly I was so focused on not screwing up my belay. I looked over and the ledge was basically parallel to me. I was virtually beneath the ledge at that point. He's calling down, you're missing the ledge. I don't even know if he could see me. Or maybe he said, find the ledge. I look over, there it is. And so what I did as an unskilled climber was lock that belay and I just like edge and got on, got on the ledge. Praise the Lord. I'm here with you today because of that. I look up, he's in flip-flop tevas and he does two bounces. He goes out from the ledge, hits twice, he's down next to me. Hey, Jeff, how you doing? How'd you do? That was terrifying. I had no idea what I was doing because he didn't show me how to do it before I did it. Then he unhooked or whatever and basically free climbed back to the top or whatever he did. And I watched how he did it. Had me on belay from the top and he said, okay, go now climb and you know, use your powder, do this and this, step up and I made it, barely. Skin knee. The point of all of this is we learn by watching. Don't try to do the Christian life in your own strength. I want to move us quickly to the last point. Point three, godly leaders yield themselves to Jesus. Why can you trust a leader in the church? It's because Christ is the head of those leaders. Good and bad. He's Lord. He's Lord over the church. The anchor that's not going to move in your life is Jesus. We don't trust man. We don't trust personality cults. 
Godly leaders yield themselves to Jesus. Look at verse 8. Jesus Christ, he just, it's just an abrupt, like, detour right into hard theology. Remember the outcome of their, their way of life? Imitate their faith. Verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Follow Jesus. We follow leaders, but we're ultimately following Jesus' lordship over our lives, even through leaders, imperfect vessels. The Lord is the Lord of all. He's the one to be worshiped. He is our chief shepherd. Verse 4, 1 Peter 5, verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. You know what shepherds are? Shepherds are under shepherds, under the true shepherd. Men are transient. Jesus is, listen to this, immutable, unchangeable, unchanging. Everything changes. The world moves around. Jesus doesn't. Psalm 90, verse 2, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Jesus told his naysayers and killers and murderers. He told the Pharisees, he said, before Abraham was, I am Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We learned that last week. Nothing changes about Jesus. He'll never leave us or forsake us. That was last week. This is this week. This is the theology of Christ. He doesn't change. Revelation 1, I don't have time to read this, but he is the Alpha and he is the Omega. He's the beginning and he's the end. He's the first. He's the last. It's going to come again. He's going to say he's the Alpha and the Omega. Verse 8 of Revelation 1. Who is and who was and is to come. That's the same phrase of Isaiah 6, right? The vision of the Lord. He's different. He's holy because he's unchanging. There's no hero worship. In these vulnerable days, don't worship anyone but Jesus. But don't forget to remember your leaders. Consider what godliness brings from a leader. Consider the word of God ministry in your life from leaders. And follow those examples and teach and live in godliness for the glory of God. Why? Because the onslaughts of Satan are still real. And the next verse is going to be talking about false teaching and fiery arrows that are going to come your way that are going to make us even more vulnerable. There's all kinds of isms that I'm going to talk about next week. And every word with an ism from materialism, pragmatism, occultism, experientialism. There's about, I don't know, 15 of them. All of those things are false teaching that want to take you out. Trust Jesus during this time. Remember your leaders. Don't worship them. Worship the Lord.